You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Well, this morning we're going to conclude our series, Habits of Happiness. We've been walking through the book of Philippians, so if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 4 in your Bibles as we see the importance of establishing the right thinking in order to have the right result. The right thinking brings about the right result or the desired result. And the desired result for you and I is to live lives that are marked by happiness. Um, And as you turn there, I know that there are some happy people in here today. Those of you that stayed up to watch the rest of the game last night. Some bitter people in this room. Lord, I just pray for healing over them right now. Uh, I didn't get to watch it. It was halftime and 10 o'clock, and I'm like, I can't, I can't watch this anymore. I can't stay up that late. But I heard it was a good game. Um, I know it was a good game because I literally heard it was a good game. Um, I could hear my children as I was trying to sleep yelling uh, every time Carolina made a basket. And so I knew that there was joy going on in their lives. Therefore, there was joy going on in the basketball game. And as I was kind of thinking about that, um, I dwelt on a little bit, and, and something hit me. Our houses, as believers, should always be loud. We should have some really loud homes. Um, that really reinforced to me that, that truth when I read this in uh, the Word this week. It says in Psalm 118.15, Shouts of joy and victory resound from the tents of the righteous. Isn't that good? Shouts of joy and victory resound out of the tents of the righteous. You and I should have some really loud homes. Because as we talked about last week, we discovered that you and I have been declared righteous. We discovered that we're righteous because we discovered grace. We discovered the grace of Jesus Christ. And when we discovered grace, we discovered something we never had to earn. There is no way you could work for it. There is no way that you could earn it. Try as hard as you might. The Bible tells us that even the best stuff that we do, the greatest works that we do, they're nothing but filthy rags. They can't compare to what Jesus has done and a perfect sacrifice. Remember what we talked about in in the book of Hebrews where it said, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those whom he is still making holy. You and I have discovered that we're righteous because we've discovered grace. And because we've discovered grace, we've discovered that we can live lives of happiness. I love the way that it reads in Titus chapter 3, verse 7. It says, because of his grace, he made us right in his sight. And gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Man, our houses should be loud. We should be screaming from our, from the, from our rooftop about how good our God is and how great our life is. Because our life is eternal. Because of what Jesus has done. We've discovered in our series that, uh, uh, that we have learned that happiness does not find us. But we have to discover happiness. And when we discover grace, we discover happiness. But I would submit to you this morning, as we go into chapter 4, Paul's going to say, it's great that you discover grace, because when you discover grace, you can discover happiness. But there's something else that the believer must rediscover in order to live a happy life. 
And the rediscovery that you and I must have if we're going to live a life of happiness is rediscovering a deep, abounding anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. We have to live a life that is anticipating the return of Jesus if you want to live a happy life. We might call it the the twin pillars of happiness. One pillar is the discovery of grace and how it rocks your world. But the other pillar is living a life of anticipation that Jesus is coming. You know, throughout the Bible, we're taught to think about a lot of things, important things, good things that we should be thinking of. We're taught to, to think about prayer and the impact that it has in your life. We're taught to think about the Word of God and how it's living and it's active. We're, we're, we're taught to, to think about evangelism and to think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All these things we're supposed to think of. But did you know that the Bible also encourages us to think about the return of Jesus? And let me ask you something this morning. Of all the things that you think about, how often do you truly think that at any moment Jesus could return? At any moment he could come back. Because when we anticipate the return of Jesus, and listen to me, folks, the return of Jesus is not just some really neat story. It's not some Steven Spielberg movie. It's reality. Jesus is coming back. And when he returns, everything changes. But everything can change in the here and now, not just in the tomorrow. But when we anticipate his return, that's when we discover change. If you haven't turned yet to chapter 4, verse 1, I'm going to read it for you. Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul's going to begin to tell us the importance of of, of anticipating the return of Christ and how that impacts our happiness. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now, let me let me point something out to you. Whenever you pick up the Bible and, and you begin to read it, and the first word that you read is therefore, if you want to get the context of what you've just read, if you want to really understand what the author is speaking of, you've got to read what came before. Every time you read therefore, ask yourself what came before. That way you can put into context what Paul is talking about. And so we'll find the context if we go back to chapter 3, verse 17. So go back a little bit to chapter 3, verse 17. This sets up chapter 4, verse 1, and it's crucial that we see this. Starting in verse 17 of chapter 3, he says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model... Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Verse 18. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears. Hear that. Paul said, I've told you this a lot of times. I've said this over and over and over again. And listen to what Paul's saying. It still breaks my heart. No matter how many times I've told you this, there's still tears in my eyes. This wounds me. This hurts me. He says that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Who's Paul talking about? 
Paul is talking not about people who don't go to church. The reality is Paul is talking and addressing people who do go to church. People who have experienced Jesus, I'm sorry, who have experienced church, but has never experienced Jesus. How many of you know you can experience church without ever experiencing Jesus? You, you can go to church and experience Jesus, but I submit to you this morning, you can also go to church and never come close to him. Today, we might call that cultural Christianity. We haven't been transformed by his presence. We haven't truly asked him to come into our lives. Every single Sunday, I can go to a zoo and I'm still not a monkey. Right? No, my, my wife might call me a monkey. I, I don't know. She probably said that before. But I can go every single Sunday. But no transformation has occurred. Right? Listen, people. Paul would say with tears in my eyes, the same thing is happening in our churches today. You, you, you can come to church. You can experience it. But if you don't experience the grace of Christ and the lordship of who he is, nothing's changed. But then, then he goes to a different camp. I, I, I'd say it's your camp, starting in verse 20. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And now, now here we go. Here's the meat of it. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. By who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. We've got the context. Let's go to verse one again. Therefore, since Jesus is coming, he's saying, since your citizenship is not here on earth, therefore, since God will send his son again, what can we do? We can we can. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. He's saying, because Jesus is coming back, you can live a life of happiness. A consistent life of happiness. Not a a happiness that is dictated by your circumstances. Not a happiness that is dictated by what's going on in your life. When I am focused on the grace of Jesus and the return of the Son of God, my happiness can abound. My happiness can stay consistent. Take those two pillars away and my happiness is temporary at best. My happiness is not abiding Understand this. When we recognize the return of Jesus, it affects change in our life, doesn't it? (laughs) I still, parents, you'll understand this. I still remember the first time my wife and I were able to get in the car without our kids, leave them at home, and drive away and go on a date, just the two of us. It was almost like, how many of you guys remember the end of Shawshank Redemption? I love my kids, but I love to have time alone with my wife too, right? And so what would happen would be this, is that they would ask us, oh, so what time are you going to be home? And, and, and then they would begin to text us throughout our date. What time are you coming back? And, and my wife, um, she, she thought it was cute. She thought, oh, they miss us. Uh, they're just like, can't wait for this reunion. It's going to be glorious and beautiful. And, um, and I love that happy place that she lived in. I want her to live in that happy place. Huh. But I'm a dad. 
And so what I knew was happening is the same thing that's happened in your house. You knew all they were trying to do is find out how much time they had left before they had to clean the house, patch up the drywall, right? Right? Because that's all, because that's how I was. That's how you were. And so when I would come home, what my wife was anticipating was this wonderful reunion, and, and I knew what we were really looking at, right? My point is this. The return of their dad affected change in their life. The anticipation of the return of their father made behavioral changes. I want to say this clearly. Going back to chapter 3. If you're in the camp of the first verses that we read, 17, 18, and 19, you're in the camp of cultural Christianity, you you should be scared. You should be scared. It should concern you that the dad's coming home. But not the rest of you. When you're in the verses 20 on, you can live in that happy place because there's no fear in the return of Christ. There's no fear whatsoever. And unfortunately, even believers today, they live underneath the fear of the return of Jesus. Like they're scared of what, dad's coming home, I'm a dead man. There's no fear. His perfect love has cast out all fear in your life. It is that beautiful reunion. And so it should change your perspective. It should change your behavior. There should be this anticipation of a reunion with the one who loves you so much. And when we anticipate the return of Jesus, there's things that we can now take on. There's there's challenges we can overcome. There's heartache that we can withstand because we recognize that our life is not about the here and now. Our life is about the eternal relationship that we have with Jesus. I would say to you that in many ways we have an Americanized Christianity. It's an Americanized Christianity that says this, our happiness needs to be found in the moment, right now. And it's a select few that actually believe that most of our brothers and sisters across the world, they are happy. But they're not happy in the immediate things that are going on in their life. They're happy knowing that they are not citizens of this world and that one day, one day, they will be with Jesus forever and that he's coming back. Let me ask you a question before we move forward. I know you think on a lot of things, but do you really think about the return of Jesus? How often does that impact your thoughts? Because I believe this, if it does, We'll see the change in our life that we want to. We'll be able to see the happiness that we desire. When I choose to live in anticipation of the return of Jesus, you know what I can do? I can can rejoice in God's goodness. Write that down, number one. I can rejoice in God's goodness. Philippians 4.4 says this. Read it with me. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, it keeps going. Let's let's try this again. Rejoice. Rejoice. Get loud. Let your tents just resound with, 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 with joy and victory. Rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because he's good. He's so good. No matter what you're facing, the Bible is telling us we can rejoice in the Lord always. 
Because our happiness is not bound necessarily in the here and now. Our happiness is found in the eternal relationship we have with God. I love how Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. And he's close to those who trust in him. We've got to get our sight right. We've got to get our sight right. This is what I mean by that. If God was good enough to send Jesus for us in the past, and if he's good enough to send Jesus back to us in the future, don't you know that God is good enough for right now too? Hebrews 13.8, we we have it up on the wall over there. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His goodness is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when I live in an anticipation of the return of God, I can see his goodness towards me. I can see that he's not going to leave me in this place. I mean, I love a lot about life, but how many of you know, I, I think that heaven sounds a lot better. I mean, there's a lot of good things, but, I, but there, there's a lot of challenges here, isn't there? A lot of brokenness, a lot of hardship. There's a longing in our heart for that which is eternal. He put it there. You'll never be satisfied with the temporal. It's impossible. You're not wired that way. He has placed eternity in your heart. And he's good. He has it planned for you. We just got to see it. If you've been with um, Grace Covenant for the last year, you've noticed um, I've had to make some changes. One of them being this. I, I, I can see great from a distance. But what I noticed as I, um, my kids affectionately call me old man now. Uh, they said that my, what I see, what's close to me gets blurry. Anybody else got that affliction? <sighs> and so um, I had no idea what I was doing with glasses. I just knew I needed to buy them. Um, to prove I had no idea what I was doing, my first pair was actually uh, women's glasses that I bought. <laughs> My staff so lovingly told me that it was women's glasses, not by telling me, but by me a matching purse. Uh, and so um, the, the reality is I can see far, but stuff that's, that's close up is blurry. Listen, our spiritual eyes, we've got to make sure that what we see in the distance helps bring clarity to those things that are up close to us. What I'm saying is this, when I can see Jesus is coming out there and that he loves me and he's good and he's for me and he's, he, he, he's just the lover of my soul, then all this stuff that's right here that's causing me to be blurry, I can apply my long distance sight to this right here and I get clarity that this is temporary. Whatever I'm facing right here that's trying to blur my vision, whatever's right here in my face that's trying to take away my happiness, this is temporary because I can see down the road. When I live in anticipation of the return of Jesus, I can rely on the goodness of God. I can also relax in his provision, number two. When I live in anticipation of the return of Christ, I can relax in his provision. 4.6 says this, Be anxious, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with what? Present your request to God. Be thankful. Be thankful for what? That you can relax in his provision. That God has got this. Whatever you're going through, God has got this. If he can take care of your past, take care of your future, he's going to take care of what you need right now. Because what you really need, the only thing you need, you know what it is? More him. More him.
So when I get that doctor bill that I wasn't ready for, hello? When that car breaks down that I wasn't anticipating, when I break up with my girlfriend, when I break up with my boyfriend, and, I, and my world is rocked, when I'm, when I'm thinking about the presence of God and His provision for my life, I can remain happy. Third thing it does is it allows us to rest in God's peace. The anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ allows us to rest in God's peace. In the Living Bible, it says this, verses 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what your needs, what tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than your human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest in Christ Jesus. I long for rest. Don't you? With the strain of the day-to-day activity that we have and and the strain of all the stuff that we carry, doesn't rest sound good? I I don't know if you've ever discovered this, um, but scientists have proven that when you sleep somewhere that you're not familiar with, you can't get as much rest as when you sleep with an environment that you're familiar with. Meaning this, you go on vacation that first night in the hotel, Chances are the next morning you're not going to be as rested as you will be going forward. They tell us this. In fact, the left side of your brain doesn't shut off. In fact, it, it, it continues to keep active. It's listening to all those new creaks. It's listening to that new neighbor's dog. So your brain never finds rest in the unfamiliar. You have to be in the familiar to find rest. Do you see where I'm going? If you want to find rest in your life, become very familiar with the presence of Jesus Christ. Become very familiar with the Holy Spirit. Because it's only in His presence and the familiarity of His presence that you're ever going to find rest. The further you keep yourself from the presence of God, the more you keep Him at arm's length, the less restful you'll ever be. And so when we anticipate the return of Christ, what we're really doing is anticipating his presence in our life, aren't we? And in his presence, a familiar presence with him, we find ourselves in true rest. Number four, when I anticipate the return of Jesus Christ, it helps me to revise my thinking. It changes the way I think. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, do what? Easier said than done. Can we have a, can we have two honest people in here? How many of you would say that's easier said than done sometimes, right? It's so much more natural for me because, not for you, I'm a heathen, I guess. It's so much more natural for me to think of those things that aren't worthy. To, to think of those things that aren't praiseworthy, to think of those things that aren't excellent, especially when you get that doctor bill again, right? The, the flesh says to think flesh-wise. The, 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 the natural tells us to think naturally, but we don't live naturally. We're, we're to live supernaturally. And it requires a retraining, a rethinking of our brain. Chuck Swindoll put it this way. These minds of ours are like bank vaults awaiting our deposits. If we regularly deposit positive, encouraging, and uplifting thoughts, what we withdraw 
will be the same and the interest paid will be joy. Isn't that good? We have to train our thoughts. And when I'm anticipating the return of Jesus, don't you know my, my thinking changes? All those things that I was stressed out about, they're, they're gone because eternity's before me. It's coming soon. We have to change the way we think. How many of you ever heard of Edward Jenner? He was, yeah, one person. Only one in three services. Fantastic. History nerd. Uh, <laughs> me too. Edward Jenner was a scientist in England in the 18th century. Um, Edward Jenner um, witnessed an outbreak of smallpox in, in deadly disease. It would ravage entire communities. Um, and so he, he began to investigate smallpox, examining individuals with smallpox. And as he looked at them and, and examined them time and again, he got nowhere. Looking at people with smallpox got him nowhere, no closer to a, a remedy. So he changed the way he was looking at things. What he did is he began to look at those individuals who did not have smallpox. And he found something in common with all of those who did not have smallpox. A lot of them, most of them, worked with milking cows. And that those who had worked with milking cows had come down with something called cowpox. A non-fatal, uncomfortable disease, but it was not fatal. But those who had ever had cowpox never had smallpox. Cowpox had a, a, a name to it. It's called vaccinia. And so what, what Jenner did is he took those who, were, um, who had, small, or had cowpox and began to take it and inject it into those who had smallpox. And what he noticed is that they were healed. Vaccinia is where we get our word what? Vaccine. He found the vaccination by finding the correlation. But, but, but what did it start with? It started with the changing of his thinking, right? It changed on what he was focusing on. And when he changed what he was focusing on, he came up with a cure. I would say the same thing is true. The vaccination for you and I living miserable lives in order to live happy lives is the injection of the presence of God and anticipation of his return. As we begin to vaccinate ourselves, we change our thinking. Number five, and I'm going to get you out of here this morning, is this. When I anticipate the return of Jesus Christ, I begin to reign in my desires. It changes those things that I crave. The things that I crave today, um, they lessen in my life when I am actively anticipating Jesus' return. I, I find that those things that once were really flavorful to me don't have much flavor anymore. Those things that I would crave, I no longer crave. Those things that would consume me no longer consume me. Why? Because in the light of eternity, they were meaningless. They were meaningless. How many of you are like me? You enjoy a good rainstorm? We've had a couple of those the last couple of nights, right? Have you ever um, heard the term or used the term yourself? Smells like rain? Have you ever thought about why? Some, some, some guys from MIT did. They, they wondered, why, why do people say it smells like rain? Why can't we smell rain? And so they took some high-powered cameras, put it in really slow-mo so they could catch the raindrops. And what they discovered it, it was this. Try to imagine a glass of champagne, okay? You know when you pour the champagne and it bubbles up? 
Don't act like you don't know what champagne is. You lie. Okay, Coke. So we have Coca-Cola. And you pour the Sprite. Okay. And you, and you pour it. And what happens? The bubbles, they, they, they come up, right? And they get to the top and they expand and, and it pops and you get the aroma of, of... Same thing with the rain. The rain would come down. It would hit the porous surface. Elements from the ground would come inside these little air bubbles and as it would rise back up, it would pop and the wind blows that aroma and you can smell the rain. Kind of cool, right? Can, can you see, I want you to see that in your mind's eye. Can you, see, can you do that? Can you visualize that? Close your eyes. I want you to visualize that, and then I want you to hear, I want you to hear Hosea 6.3. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Can you smell that? Can you smell it? It's the return of Jesus. You can look around this world and you can see it. He's coming. Breathe it in. Because that's the good stuff. It's the good stuff because, hey, listen to me. I'm not minimizing what you're going through. I'm not minimizing your frustration. I'm not minimizing your pain. I'm not minimizing any of that, but all I'm saying is that when we live a life focused on Jesus' grace and our eternity with him, what you're going through, it's, it's, it's a vapor. It's a moment. I know it's hard, but listen, you weren't meant for this world. You weren't meant for this world. And I know it's overwhelming, and I get that. I, I do. I promise you, I do. But we gotta get our we gotta get our long distance vision back. And remember who we are and where we're going, because it'll change everything. You will be able to live happy despite the hurt around you. As we conclude this morning, here's what we need to do. So we just need to ask the Holy Spirit. I want you to personally ask the Holy Spirit, what do I do with what I just heard? How does this apply to me? What would you say to me about your word? Close your eyes and spend a moment with him. And as we've looked over the last six weeks of creating habits of happiness, these two questions we want to leave with first one being this have you personally discovered the radical radical reality of grace in your life and how much Jesus loves you and how you never have to earn his favor have you done that and the second thing is second question are you living in anticipation of his return Are you letting that thought consume you? Does it drive you? So really what we got to ask ourselves is there may be people in a couple of different camps today when we talk about the return of Jesus. If you're in the camp, man, you've experienced grace and you just love God, 
and you're, you know, you're not trying to earn his favor. You just, you just love him. You love him. You've accepted grace. We're living in an anticipation, but then there might be another camp. You're, when you hear about a return of Jesus, it makes you fearful because you've never really thought much about him. You may be a cultural Christian or, or maybe you've, you've, you've heard about stuff, but you never took it seriously. I would submit to you, you should be afraid this morning. You should be uncomfortable. Because apart from the Son of God, there's, there's no way we enter into heaven. It just can't happen. Your greatest works are filthy rags, the Bible tells us. And so my question to you this morning is this. If you haven't accepted Him and truly made Him your God, what the heck are you waiting for? What the heck are you waiting for? We want to get that right. We want to get that right right now. So if you've never made him your king, your God, on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Let's just pray it out. And maybe for the others of you that are in here, when you think of the return of Jesus, does it make you scared a little? Because that's of the enemy. That's a lie. There's nothing to fear. He loves you. And with that, we say, come, Jesus, come. Come, Jesus, come. Lord, I pray for my friends in here this morning that they would live with a great anticipation of your return. God, I pray they would be moved by the reality that you're coming back. God, I pray they would live lives that are bold and loud and joyful and victorious because of who they are in you. Lord, it's on that foundation that we can have habits of happiness. And all God's people said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.